0: with me this morning. Father, we ask for your help as we study your word. We know, Lord, that everything that is in your word has been recorded for a reason. We know that it is inspired. It has not been written by man's imagination. So we pray that your spirit, Lord, will help us interpret correctly your word today. And none of your words would fall to the ground. We pray for your help. And We pray, Lord, that you would be Glorified in our response. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Is that, is that book there? The Dave Furman's book? Gabs, okay, why don't you bring it here? So, so this week I went to a, a CEC meeting in Dubai, uh, Council, of Evangel- yeah, Council of Evangelical Churches, <laughs> and I got to spend some time. Um, talking to Dave Furman. Dave is the senior pastor of Redeemer Church in Dubai, and Dave has written a few books, and my favorite book that he has written is this book titled uh, Kiss the Wave. It is available downstairs, and I would recommend it and encourage you uh, to read this book. This book is about learning how to experience the nearness of God in the middle of suffering. And that God in His grace always designs trials for our good. Uh, Dave doesn't minimize the suffering. In fact, he comes from a very credible place, a position to speak into the subject because he has, for more than a decade, lived with a debilitating nerve condition in both of his arms. He was telling me that he cannot tie his shoelaces anymore um, or... He cannot put his, his, bu- his buttons together on his shirt. He can't use normal cutlery to cut his food because of the, the pain that he experiences in his, in his hands. And his wife, Gloria, has to do almost everything for him. She has to put his, his shirt on. She has to button his his shirt. She has to um, tie his shoelaces. She even has to do all of the, the the driving. And he said to me that he has become very dependent on his wife. And then he said this. He said that God has humbled him to where he has learned to accept her help and to be dependent on her. And I thought much about this on my drive back from Dubai that day. You know, the local church should, should be like this in many ways. You know, we as a church... We should be willing and we should be able to come to each other for help in our in our pain and, and in our struggles. You know, we as a church should be willing to come alongside a, a brother or a sister and help them in their, their need, whether it is a physical need or whether it is a, a spiritual need. You know, we should be dependent on each other. We should not be independent of each other. And every Christian needs. Emotional support. Every Christian needs instruction in the Word. Every Christian needs help from their brothers and sisters in the community of the saints. But the problem is, if you think about it, the problem is, is our selfishness. The problem is we, we want to be independent. We, we want our privacy. We want our comfort. And in our selfishness, we, we don't want to ask people for help. We don't want to be vulnerable. And in our selfishness, we don't, want to, we don't want to hold ourselves accountable to our brothers and our sisters. We don't really want our lives to be stretched or upset. And we don't want our schedules and our routines to be changed or altered. And we don't want to exert too much energy or or time on other people. What we want is our comfort. We want what makes us comfortable. And today I think there are a number of characters in our text that will teach us how important it is to be willing to be taught, to be willing to grow, to be willing to be discipled with the community of the saints. In this passage we see our, our need, our ongoing need for strength and instruction and companions who will encourage us in our walk with the Lord. We need fellowship of the saints to continue to do what God has called us to do. So my first point this morning from verse 18 to verse 23 is growing in strength. Growing in strength. Look at verse 18. We begin our study there in verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila at Cancrea. He had his hair cut, for he was under a vow. So what is very different here about this scenario? As we saw last week, things had changed for Paul since Gallio's ruling. Paul now is able to stay for longer periods without being driven out by the, the Roman rules or the Roman um, laws. Looking at verse 11, it seems that Paul ministered in Corinth for a total of 18 months. And now here he leaves Corinth because he wanted to, not because he was forced out. He leaves Corinth in a different way because he wants to. Now we don't know why Paul leaves Corinth. There is no reason that is given in the text why he departs from Corinth. Um, we, we see It seems to be from the text that he leaves on his own initiative, not because of any type of persecution, but in verse 18, it tells us instead of taking a vacation, which he probably needed, he ends up taking a vow. A vow. So the vow appears to be related to a Nazarite vow, which we see in Numbers chapter 6. Um, most commentators that I read thought that it was a Nazarite vow, which which separates a person unto God for some special purpose or task. And Paul could have taken this vow to express his thankfulness to God for keeping him safe and for protecting him from bodily harm um, during his stay in Corinth. Um, But if he had taken this vow, if he had taken this Nazarite vow, he would have had to have traveled to Jerusalem to end this vow, which we don't see any evidence of. We don't know. We don't know whether this was a Nazarite vow or not. Um, There's a lot of debate about this vow that um, he took. But the bottom line is nobody knows for sure what kind of vow it was or exactly why Paul took the vow because the text doesn't doesn't tell us. We we have no more information from the text. But in verse 19 to verse 21, we're told they reach Ephesus and as Paul's the um, custom is he goes to the synagogue and he speaks to the Jews there, showing that Jesus was the Christ. And the initial response that he receives there is the same, that he receives everywhere else. Um, but Paul here was encouraged to stay. He was encouraged to stay longer so that they could, um, fo- uh, so that they could more fully ac- explain what this message was. But we notice here, Paul did not stay. Um, and why he, he, had, he left, why um, he did leave when they were asking him to stay and teach, we, we don't really know. Again, I have more, I have more questions than, than answers for you from this passage. There just isn't a lot of information about this. The only thing that we can see from the text is in verse 21. Paul promises to return if God wills, if God wills. And I think that's important for us to, to notice. We know Paul was very conscious of the, the will of God, and we see it popping up over and over again in many of his letters. In Romans chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He says, I want to come to you if it is God's will. I don't want to come if it isn't God's will. Again, he says in Romans chapter 15, verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. And he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. So we do know that it was God's will to come back to Ephesus. Um, We know that he would be there for a longer period, as we see in um, later on in Acts chapter to, Acts chapter 20. But Paul was conscious of making sure that it was God's will and not his own will where he was traveling and where he was visiting. And I think there is a point of teaching here for us um, individually, but also as a church. You know, we often pray for God's will to be done, and praying and doing, I think, are are two different things. When circumstances don't go the way we want them to, or the way that we planned, we usually end up getting upset. Would you say that that was true? Would you say that that was was accurate? If we believe that God controls every event in time, if we believe that nothing happens apart from His sovereign plan, then why do circumstances upset us? Why do we get upset when things don't go our way? Well, the problem is we, we don't like God's plan. <laughs> we want our plan to be done. We want our will to be done at the end of the day. And for believers, we need to learn from this. If it's, not, if it's not God's will, we need to be safe that God has a plan. It's not only important that we live in obedience to God's moral will, it's also important that we live in submission to His providential will. It was God's will, we see in Acts twenty, and Paul did return, and Paul did remain in Ephesus for three years. We see in verse twenty-two. This verse really marks the end of Paul's second missionary journey, so he left from Antioch, and he now is back at Antioch in verse twenty-two, and now in verse twenty-three, this really starts marks the start of his third missionary journey. But notice there in verse 23, where did he start, where did he go on his third missionary journey? What what does the passage tell us? Well, he went to the same place he went on his second missionary journey. Can you remember where he went on his second missionary journey? Well, the same place he went to on his first missionary journey. You see the pattern here. You know, his purpose in going back to these places, to the churches that he had already planted, was to was to strengthen the churches that were planted, was to strengthen them. Paul loved to, to venture into new territories. We know that. He was very adventurous. But he never forgot the need to strengthen the local churches, to strengthen the Christians that had been won to the Lord. So really, he devotes his third missionary journey to the training of the disciples, to the training of disciples. And Again, I think there is a point here for us to learn. You know, babies, We I think we all love babies. Babies are cute. Um, but at the end of the day, babies grow up, isn't it? I mean, they're cute also when they grow up. I'm not saying they're not. But we, we feed them. We look after them. Um, we protect them. We, we care for them. We, we teach them. We train them. And eventually they become mature enough, hopefully, to, to get married and to have um, children of their, their own, who in turn need to grow in maturity as well. And the cycle continues, isn't it? And in the same way, God's spiritual children need to grow and need to mature to the point where they can reproduce, where they can have children of their own. Um, and this is, this is the pattern that God has put in, in His Scriptures all along, how the church reproduces, how the church plants other churches. And part of our task as elders in the church is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Our job is to equip the Christians to be mature. It tells us in Ephesians 4 to attain to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the main task of elders, but this is not just the task of the elders Every Christian has a role to play in this process. In this process. The whole body, we are told in Ephesians four 16, the whole body, not just part of the body, the whole body grows as each individual part works properly according to their specific function. That's how the church matures and the, and the church grows. And we spoke about this last week. If God has helped you with a problem, He can use you to help somebody else who has a similar problem. If He has helped you to overcome a temptation and He has helped you to walk in holiness, He wants to use you to help others, other believers, to learn the same or similar things. If He has helped you go through a a difficult time or a difficult trial by leaning on Him as your strength, and as your comfort, He wants to use you to help others to learn to trust Him in similar trials and similar difficulties. And that's how the body of Christ works together. We we work as an organism. We are working and helping each other grow in our walk with the Lord. We need to grow in our strength together, in our maturity as a body, so that we can be a, a witness so that we can be an effective witness for Christ in the world around us. But secondly, we see the second portion of this passage in verse 24 to verse 28. Not only are we to grow in strength and maturity, but we are to grow in our accuracy, in our understanding of the, the Scriptures. Look at verse 24. It tells us a, a Jew named Apollos... A native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Verse 26, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. In verse 24, we are introduced to a new character that we haven't um, heard of before. His name is Apollos. Apollos, as we have seen, not only preached the, the gospel to the last, but he also helped greatly those who had believed through grace. That's what it says in our passage. And Aquila and Priscilla, who were Paul's friends from his previous journey, they had come alongside Apollos, and they had helped Apollos come to a more accurate and a, and a deeper understanding of the things of God. And he, in turn we see helps others to come to the same understanding that he had been taught. And we see a pattern here, isn't it? The pattern that all of us as believers should be part of. In areas where we have received help, we should be willing to help others grow in those areas as well. Now, Apollos was a Jew. Um, The Scriptures tell us he was a Jew from Alexandria, which was a famous um, center of learning. Verse 24, Luke calls him an eloquent man. Which refers either to his um, speaking ability, or to his learning, or to his education. Uh, he was probably a, a very well-trained public speaker. He was able to communicate in a in a way that held people's attention. And as we've seen, Luke describes him as being competent or being mighty in the scriptures, which implies um, either his his knowledge, but probably his understanding as well of the Scriptures and how he was able to fit that together and understand the major themes of the the Scriptures. It tells us that he was fervent in, in spirit and he had a zeal for the Lord. But at the same time, Apollos did not have it all together. As eloquent as he was and as competent as he was, he didn't have everything together. He didn't know everything. He was growing in his understanding of the, the gospel. He was, he was in process. And it's not clear what Luke means when he says in verse 25, look at verse 25, he says that he was teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, but then it tells us being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Now we know John's baptism was a, a baptism of repentance. We know John's message was a message of repentance. And some say that um, Apollos knew about the ministry of, of Jesus. Some say he knew about the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension, but he was lacking in his experience of Pentecost, the, the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what some people say. Um, I, I tend to disagree with that. I don't think, I don't think that was the case. I think, it seems to me, that Apollos was very similar to John the Baptist. He knew the Old Testament prophecies. He knew about the Messiah, and he heard of John's ministry, and he believed John's message. He believed in John's baptism. Um, He believed in what John preached, that Jesus was the Messiah. But he had not heard that these things had already been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It seems he didn't know what happened to Jesus. He didn't know about the death of Jesus. He didn't know about the resurrection of Jesus. He didn't know about the ascension, and he didn't know about the Pentecost that had followed the life of Jesus. It had never been clearly explained to him until Priscilla and Aquila did the explaining. Now remember, they didn't have news channels. They didn't have social media. They didn't have telephones. So, news was slow to spread at that point, and the apostle Paul was one of the first pioneers in this area spreading that good news, sharing the gospel of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So slowly but surely that news was spreading. And now Apollos is confronted with that news. Now, try and put yourself in Apollos' sandals. Um, You know, you've been trained in this prestigious city of Alexandria, you're an eloquent um, speaker, you are educated, you are a learned person, far beyond just the, the common average person, and people are always telling you how much they appreciate your, your teachings. And along comes this, this tent maker and his wife, and, and notice there, the wife, she is the one who's doing most of the, the talking, she's the one who's doing most of the, the teaching, and they they, they pull you aside tactively, te- te- tactfully, and they explain to you that there are things that are missing in your theology. It would have been very easy for Apollos to have rejected Aquila and Priscilla's help. And the fact that he received their help speaks about his character, speaks into who he was as a person. He was teachable, and um, he was humble. Look at verse 27. It tells us that he helped greatly those who through grace had believed. So at this point, Apollos is helping other people. And if he is helping believers, he must have received Aquila and Priscilla's instruction, and he must have believed their report, their, their witness. And we know he did, because when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said the following. He said in verse 11, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Now, in Corinth, Apollos was ranking right up there with Paul and and Peter in terms of um, the esteemed preachers of the word. This this, this tells us, informs us, that he he had a great influence amongst the people that he was preaching to. It also tells us in 1 Corinthians, we have some interesting um, comments about him in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 4, which we read this morning. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, it tells us, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. His name is mentioned again in chapter 4. Paul says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. So based on the evidence that we have from the the Scriptures, I think Apollos got saved between the time that he arrived at Ephesus and the time that he arrived at Corinth in between. Apollos, he believed the gospel, he got saved, and what did he do? He started ministering to the saints. He helped the church. It tells us he helped the church much. Look at Acts 18 in our passage there at the end in verse 27. It tells us, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Talking about Apollos here. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. There is a change here in his theology, isn't there? He is fully convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah who would come and save them from their sins. So now Apollos has been instructed in the whole counsel of God. And Apollos then travels on to southern Greece. And the brethren, they they send a letter with him, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And that he is, in fact, a genuine teacher of the gospel. And this really is the beginning of the third missionary journey that we spoke about earlier on. But I think there's a number of things that we can learn from this passage, and, and clearly, number one is that nobody receives grace. No one believes apart from receiving the grace of God. And no one serves effectively unless God's grace is upon them. And God doesn't save us because we are eloquent. God doesn't save us because of our education. God doesn't save us because we are clever. God saves us because He wills that. It is His divine election. And He doesn't use us because we have it all together or because we are qualified. It is all because of God's grace. It is all because of God's grace. And He uses us in spite of our shortcomings. Even though we don't have it all together, even though we don't know everything, He still uses us to build the body of Christ it tells us Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 he says we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves God chooses us he saves us he sanctifies us and he uses us for his purposes you know, in a church like ours that is constantly changing, people that are coming and people that are, are going, we, we need to remember that we are all in different stages in our walk with the Lord. And there may be some who attend here uh, regularly but have not yet put their faith and their trust in God as the Savior. They may have heard about Jesus. They may understand that Jesus has come to this earth, but they may not fully understand the implications of the gospel or have repented of their sins. There are others who are um, babies in their faith who are learning and those of us who are further down the road and we need to we need to minister to these people and treat them with the same the same tolerance that we that we treat our children with. You know, we shouldn't expect a one year old to act like a a 10-year-old, or we shouldn't expect a, a 10-year-old to act like an, an 18-year-old. You know, rather, as, as mature believers, we need to model mature behavior to to even our children. And then we are to gently come alongside them and help them understand how to live in a mature, a more mature way. But none of us have arrived at perfect sanctification, none of us have arrived, or being glorified yet. We are all in process. We are all growing as, as, as children in our faith, in our walk with Christ. We're all in a process, but at the end of the day, we all need each other. We all need each other. We all need support, whether it's emotional. We all need to be instructed in the way of the Lord, whether it's spiritual. We all need our eyes to be open to some of the, the blinkers that we have on in our in our way that we've been brought up. We need help from the community of the saints, the body of Christ that the Lord has put us in. We need to overcome our selfishness, and we need to ask for help. We need to overcome our busyness, and we need to offer help where it is needed. We need to hold ourselves accountable to our our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. And we need to stretch ourselves and be willing to be stretched beyond our comfort zones, beyond our our comfortable routines and beyond our comfortable lifestyles. And in closing this morning, I want to ask three questions to help you apply this, this message. And the first question this morning is, are you focused on proclaiming the gospel? Are you focused on proclaiming the gospel to the lost? And you may be thinking, you know, Pastor, I'm not a gifted evangelist. And let me assure you, neither am I, okay? Neither am I. But we're all called to help fulfill the Great Commission. We're all called to be a witness of Christ. And what I'm talking about here is a matter of being intentional, a matter of deliberate focus, using the opportunities the Lord has given us to be a witness for Him in a dark place, especially here where we, are, where we are living, where the Lord has placed us. But my question is, do we have a burden about the condition of, of lost people? We're not going to be sharing the gospel. We're not going to be doing this if we don't have a burden for those who are dying in their sins. If we don't have this burden, if we're not focused, let me ask you this morning, put that on your prayer list. Ask the Lord to increase your burden for the lost. Pray that the Lord would give you a burden both for the people here that are lost in the workplace, in your college, wherever the Lord puts you, and for those back in your home country that are still lost, that are without Christ. And maybe you don't even want the opportunity to talk to somebody about Christ because you've had a bad experience or maybe you think that you'll be at a loss for words that you won't know what to say but again let me encourage you that get some training you know we have opportunities for you to grow in your understanding of the gospel we have book clubs we have different bible studies we have different discipleship groups get some training read some books on the subjects that we have recommended and when the opportunity does come up do as Apollos did, focus on the person and the work of, of Jesus Christ. My second question this morning is, are you, are you focused on strengthening the church? Maybe you're thinking, Pastor, I'm not gifted as a pastor. I'm not called even to be a pastor. Um, and that, that's not what I'm asking. <laughs> that's besides the point. You know, if God has helped you to grow in your faith, He expects you to help others to grow in their faith. And yeah, granted, you may not be a Paul or you may not be an Apollos, but you may be a Priscilla or a Akula. And they were vital in this machine, in this mechanism. They were vital in helping Apollos get to the point where he understood completely, and where he was able to be more effective in his, in his evangelism. You may be a Priscilla or an Aquila that can come alongside somebody and quietly instruct and intentionally disciple. We are all vital in God's work. You know, what if they had thought, well, we aren't in the same league with this Apollos. We're not as educated as Apollos someone else will have to talk to Apollos. Someone else will have to do that work. What if they did that? And I think the danger is for many of us, you know, we, we tend to, to think, well, we'll take this, this one talent that, that God has given to us and we will bury it in the ground. We don't have five talents. We just have one talent. And you know, this one talent we'll, we'll just bury in the ground. And there's a danger of that. We need to be careful of that. God has given us all gifts to be used for His glory. And just because He may have given us one talent, that's not an excuse not to use it. It's not an excuse to, to hide it or bury it in the ground. God puts every believer on His team. We're not spectators in the grandstands watching this game. We are part of this team that is playing this game. He doesn't want us to be these bench warmers, warming up the the benches. He wants us to be participating in this game. We need to be in this game. We need to be focused on strengthening the church. We need to be focused on using the gifts God has given us to build the community of saints that God has placed us in. Are we focused enough on strengthening the church? My third and last question this morning is, Are you growing in your Christian walk? Are you growing in your Christian walk? I'm not asking you this morning, do you still have a way to go before you're perfect? I I understand that. We're all not perfect yet. Ask my wife. What I'm asking you is, are you deliberately doing things to help you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and of our Savior, Jesus Christ? Do you go often to God's Word? Do you seek the Scriptures for help, for understanding, so that you can understand God's character, so that you can understand His will for your life more accurately? Do you participate in home groups, in Bible studies? Are you helping and participating in those home groups? Do you study and meditate on the Word trying to get a, a better grasp of who God is, and He's revealed truth for, um, for all of us. Do you read Christian books? Do you read Christian books? or do you, How much time do you read Christian books, and how much time do you spend on TikTok? Are we intentional? Are we deliberate in growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and of our Savior, Jesus Christ? You know, we won't grow as a Christian by accident. We have to make it our focus. We have to make it a priority. So in conclusion this morning, this this has been more instructional today, and I'm thankful for that. Let's be patient with each other. Be patient with me, and I'll be patient with you. I'll try. (laughs) Since God isn't finished with any of us, is He? God is still working on us. But also, let's be deliberate Let's be intentionally focused on making the gospel known, on building up one another and growing each other and growing personally into our relationships with each other and growing personally in the things of the Lord as He has taught it to us and as we understand it in the Scriptures. For His glory and for our joy. I say that often, isn't it? When I say our joy, I'm talking about the church's joy, not just us independent of each other, but for the joy of New Life Church, that we would be a mature people, that we would be effective in our witness, that we would be effective in our love and our counsel for each other as we grow together in grace. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the examples that you have given to us in Scripture. And Father, we pray that we would be faithful to what you have taught us today. Father, we ask that, Lord, we would see our need to be growing, that we wouldn't become complacent in our walk with you, that we would see our need to be part and parcel of the church that you have placed us in. If there are people here today that are still on the fringes when it comes to membership, Lord, that they would commit to membership, If there are people that are still on the fringes when it comes to home groups, Lord, that you would help them to commit to home groups. If there are people who are on the fringes of giving their life to you, Lord, Father, that you would give them the repentance and the faith that they need to commit themselves to you today. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign and that you are in control and that you have brought us here to hear your word at this time today in this passage with this instruction Lord, please, may we be teachable, may we be humble, may we humble ourselves to your word and respond in a way that would honor you, in a way that would glorify you. And we do pray, Lord, we pray for your glory and we pray for our joy as a church. Grow us, Lord, grow us together, grow us in unity, grow us in knowledge, grow us in grace, Father, that we would be effective tools for your glory. We ask and pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.